You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai. And March 21st through 27th is Poison Prevention Week. Today we're talking about all those deadly temptations that our pets get into. And that brings me to my rant of the week. Cats are supposed to be finicky, right? Well, my little Siamese wannabe, Saren, has been known to sample everything from coffee to hot mustard. But cats also can claw or walk through something and get sick cleaning themselves. On the other paw, (laughs) Magic, my German Shepherd boy, grazes out of wastebaskets. I live in fear that one or both will scarf up something that prompts more than a tummy ache. Because, you know, there's houseplants, cleaning products, human medications, even human snack foods like grapes or chocolate can offer risks. So how can we protect our pets from being their own worst enemies? I'm delighted to introduce you today to Dr. Stephen Hansen. Senior Vice President with the ASPCA and Manager of the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center and the Animal Behavior Center. He is board certified by the American Board of Veterinary Toxicology. So plant your furry tails and we'll be right back with Dr. Hansen after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatonic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. (laughs) 
We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Stephen Hansen, a pet poison prevention expert with the ASPCA. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hansen. Hello, Amy. It's great to have you here, and I I wanted to maybe break the ice a little bit first and uh, ask you about yourself. What what animals, what pets do you have? Amy, we have two pets at home. We have a shelter cat named Nala, and we have a wild dog named Gracie. Gracie is a wire-haired pointing griffon, and she has gotten into many things. Oh, so so you speak from, from personal experience on some of this then. I hate to admit that I speak from personal experience. Yes, indeed. Well, just to, to jump right in with all four paws here, how, how common is pet poisoning? How many calls does the center get? Well, Amy, pet poisoning really is a significant problem, uh, and it, it occurs uh, with, our, with the ASPCA's Animal Poison Control Center in 2007. We opened 136,000 new cases and that involves probably 225,000 phone calls, and those cases come from all across the U.S. and Canada. Wow, that's an enormous number. Well, then, and hopefully that's, that's a number of, of pets that were saved because they were able to get some help. Yeah, actually, we're, we're proud to say that we have a 99% success rate. I wish it were 100, uh, but the success rate is very high because when we can get involved and work with a veterinary clinician, often an emergency clinic in the middle of the night, that's when we're the busiest, uh, we're able to help provide information that can be life-saving, what type of medication has been consumed, what it can cause, and how we can stop the effects. Well, there, there's certainly a wide range of poisons, right? Well, there's certainly a wide range of substances that, when eaten enough, can be poisonous. So that's a, an interesting, maybe a little bit of, uh, of a difference there. But our challenge is that we've got to realize that dogs especially, when they find something on their own, they're so inquisitive and playful, they'll eat large amounts of things that would just absolutely amaze us. <laughs> For instance? For instance, pills. Human medications are the number one problem we encounter. And the reason is that when a dog, like my dog Gracie, when she finds a pill vial, and I actually did this with her, loaded with candy, not with pills, to see how long it would take her to crush a pill vial and consume it. So what I did was I filled the pill vial with candy and rolled it across the floor and walked to the other end of the room and watched. And how many seconds, I already set it up, how many seconds do you think it took for her to get to that candy? (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're talking seconds. took her 15 seconds. It happens that quickly. So we've all tried to give pet pills before. So when we force a pill on them, they're cautious. But when they discover it themselves on the floor, it's fair game. And they, they'll eat entire pill vials of pills. So, so there's no such thing as a pet-proof pill vial. That's one of the most important messages we have for National Poison Prevention Week, is, is for, for pet owners to understand that a child-proof container is virtually never dog-proof. Well, what about cats? I mean, cats will play with them. Uh, do, they, do they end up being poisoned as often as dogs then? Amy, cats do not end up being poisoned as often as dogs, at least as far as our call volume. What we actually see, dogs far outweigh cats. Our challenges with cats are a little different. The cats uh, run into problems with poisonous plants, especially the lily plants like Easter lily. They're sensitive at very small amounts, so they can chew on a leaf and, and develop kidney failure, it is life-threatening. 
when it comes to medications, cats will consume single pills if they're dropped. So if, it, if it's a, a very potent pill, maybe it's an anti-cancer medication or it's a, a large size pill with a small cat, or it's something like acetaminophen. A single extra strength acetaminophen can actually be lethal to a cat, and it's because of the way they metabolize acetaminophen. That painkiller is not handled well by the cat. A single one will not harm a dog. So that's, that's like Tylenol? That's, like, that's correct. And okay. our most, unfortunately, our most common issue with that type of a painkiller killer is actually intentional administration. So a pet owner unknowingly may have an elderly cat. Now, Nala, our cat, is only 8 years old, so she's not anywhere near elderly. But if you had a 15-year-old cat who was arthritic, it's not inconceivable that a pet owner might think, well, you know, maybe a painkiller, a single painkiller tablet might be fine and might, might make my cat rest a little easier when, in fact, it can be lethal because a cat doesn't handle it well. It's a specific problem to the cat. I remember uh, in in a former life when I worked as a vet tech, we had a um, somebody that finally brought their cat in. The cat had not felt well, so she gave it a Tylenol, and then it didn't feel very well. And so she thought, well, maybe I better give it a little more. And by the time this poor kitty came in, uh, we were did manage to save the cat. But holy cow! I mean, this this cat was in dire straits. So I guess I guess the lesson there is don't give any medication unless it's been prescribed by your veterinarian. That, that is a very important message. Never give human medications to a pet unless it's been recommended or, or specifically prescribed by a veterinarian. Because there are also painkillers, the standard ibuprofen-type painkillers, um, are, are much more uh, likely to cause ulcers in a dog's stomach than in ours. So those aren't a good idea for dogs either. But we have painkillers that are made for dogs that dogs tolerate much better. So yes, only if prescribed by a veterinarian. What about there? There are people tend to think of the poisons that are always going to be, uh, you know, swallowed intentionally. Um, but there are also things that pets can get into. Maybe walk through. I'm I'm thinking, you know, wet paint or as as you were s- suggesting, the cats that that kind of nibble on a leaf or claw something and then wash themselves off. They get paint on their on their fur. Are those issues? Well, they certainly can be. Now, paint typically is not. Since we haven't had leaded paint now for, for some time, uh, standard paint, typical house paint, typical um, indoor paints are not a problem for dogs or cats. Usually it, it's obviously a problem on their coat because it, it dries and, and can be difficult to remove and, and can color their mouth and their tongue. But actually consuming it, as long as they don't get it in their lungs and choke on it, it is, is actually not much of a problem. We have that occur f- fairly regularly. We actually had a case not too long ago in which we had an elephant who drank the majority of a gallon of paint. And the elephant did totally fine. Uh, we were concerned wow. about lungs. But um, as, as long as it is, is a, a modern paint, for example, it's not a problem. But certainly, if we walk through concentrated cleaners, like disinfectant cleaners, in your experience in a veterinary hospital, you know that some pretty potent disinfectants are used to clean uh, runs in cages. Absolutely. And if, those, if those products are, are somehow spilled in a concentrated form and a cat were to walk across and groom their paws, now those would cause severe sores in the mouth. And that's particularly problematic to a cat because they're less likely to eat. A dog may, may be more likely to eat with uh, healing sores in the mouth, but cats will go off feed and that can be a problem. Well, are there are there some toxins that can actually be absorbed through the skin or through the foot pads? I'm thinking some of the um, 
misapplication of flea products? Oh, Amy, you touched on a big one there. Um, the, the misapplication of flea products is still one of our biggest feline problems. And as you alluded to, what happens is we have a pet owner who is, who is trying to do a good thing, buys a small, a small weight flea and tick product. Maybe they have a small dog and a cat. So they assume that if they apply the same weight size to a cat, that it must be fine. If it's, you've got a big cat, it's 20 pounds. They have a small dog, it's 20 pounds. Why not put the same product on both? But as we alluded to with the acetaminophen and Tylenol situation, uh, permethrin, which is contained in many of these flea and tick products for dogs, which works well on dogs and typically is not a problem on dogs at all, so we don't want, we don't want listeners to, to draw that conclusion. But if it's applied to a cat, the cat will become seriously ill in a matter of hours, can have uh, muscle tremors and seizures, and if not treated, can potentially die. Wow. Wow, I I know that uh, that's that's a problem with uh, just not reading product directions, and and I think also just understanding that cats are not small dogs, guys. I mean, they have a whole different type of um, metabolic system, and they meow. That's that's a big difference. They meow. They definitely do. So we have to consider <laughs> our cats as very unique creatures. Absolutely. Well, I know that a lot of um, savvy pet owners are already going to know about the dangers of feeding chocolate. You know, we've got Easter coming up. You were mentioning the Easter lilies. We've got Easter chocolates, all those kinds of things, dangers of antifreeze. And now I'm in North Texas, so we don't, we don't have a problem probably as much as in the Northeast where you're dealing with antifreeze. But there are some other common toxins that people might not even consider, like what about the raisins and, and the grape things that we're hearing about now that's causing problems in dogs? Yeah, Amy, um, raisins and grapes are a fascinating example of a species difference in the dog, and this is something that we discovered uh, from calls that we received and samples that veterinarians sent in, and what apparently happens, or what clearly happens, we don't know why it occurs yet. It's being studied by various researchers or several groups actually looking into it. But what happens, a common scenario might be your dog magic, while you're gone at work, discovers a one-pound box of raisins and eats the entire box. Usually they eat significant volumes. And they may be vomiting raisins, they may be defecating raisins. There's usually evidence they ate a lot of raisins. And they will develop kidney failure, and that kidney failure onset is fairly rapid over the next day. So if we respond quickly, and what helps us a lot of times is that, is that the dogs not, are not feeling well, and they are throwing up, they're having diarrhea, so they may call their veterinary hospital and say, this seems to really upset my dog's stomach, and veterinary hospital may call us, and, and we can get right on top of those. But we do not know why it occurs, but clearly it, it does cause kidney failure uh, commonly in the dog if enough is eaten. We don't know what the minimum amount is, so we avoid raisins and grapes uh, just because we don't know all the details yet. Okay, so it, it may not affect some dogs, but others it may, so let's just be safe and avoid it. Right. Certainly some people have used grapes as treats for dogs. We know that. Um, an occasional grape here or there is not likely to be a problem, but we don't know where we pass from one grape to six grapes to a dozen grapes at what line we actually have a dose that's high enough. And we don't know whether it's inherent to the grape, whether it's a, a mold that may be growing on the grape. Um, certainly different types of molds produce fantastic types of wine. So there's, there's all kinds of issues that are, that are interplaying here, and it has not yet been worked out. Okay, some of the other things that I've heard about, I don't know a lot about, um, 
bread dough, eating raw bread dough, that can cause some some major tummy upsets or even some dangerous things. Is that not true? Yeah, certainly. Um, bread dough is kind of an amusing one because it's not really a toxicology problem. In reality, we do get some alcohol produced by fermentation, but <laughs> that, that's really a, a small part of the problem. What happens is, in a common scenario, we have a dog like mine. Gracie will occasionally counter-surf, I hate to admit, where she's got <laughs> rear paws on the floor and four paws on the counter. And if you set out a frozen loaf of bread dough, is usually how it occurs, and allowed it to thaw and to rise, and the dog discovers it, Gracie consumes the entire one pound of, of rising bread dough, and what it does is continues to rise in the warm stomach environment rather rapidly, and it produces a big obstruction in the stomach. It's just one big glob of dough that does not move through, and these have actually had to be surgically removed. Uh, we do various things to try and stop the, the dough from rising and try and help digest it and move it on through, and depending on the size of the dog, sometimes we can move it on through. Um, but it's one of those things to add to the list that you should know and keep your dog away from because bizarre things happen. <laughs> well, uh, kind of changing species for a moment. I'm more cat-dog savvy, but at, at one point in my life, I had um, a spectacle Amazon. And I know that birds, our companion birds, also have some toxicity issues. Uh, what, are, what are some common problems people run into with, with um, the birds and the parrots and, and cockatiels and these guys? Well, what's important for pet owners to know, and hopefully most most bird owners are tuned in, but new bird owners may be less aware or visitors in the home, um, we need to understand that the, the breathing apparatus structure of the bird is very different. They've got lungs and air sacs. They very effectively remove um, substances that are that are in the air, so they become very sensitive at small doses, which is why the canary in the coal mine sort of sort of approach. So we have to be careful with aerosols. We have to be careful with uh, things that emit gases in the house. And the most common one that's talked about, of course, is things like overheated Teflon pans. Um, That type of a release um, can be lethal to a bird, actually. So what, what we like to do is not to use heavy perfumes, heavy sprays, heavy cleaners that have strong odors or or heavy mists in direct proximity to a bird. We want to respect and protect those air sacs. Are avocados a problem with birds? Avocados are one that that are more of a problem with birds as well as rodents and some large animals. We have limited um, problems with avocados and dogs. We know there are dogs that eat large amounts of avocados, and and the the actual um, reason why some avocados are problems um, with dogs is not clear, but for the most part, we're not really concerned about avocados with dogs, but yes, with birds, we do not want to feed birds avocados. Well, I know in, in North Texas, um, all of our Tex-Mex eating dogs would be upset to hear that. So I'll pass that on to them, but uh, we're going to continue this um, tasty conversation with Dr. Stephen Hansen after messages from these sponsors. <laughs> Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Attention passengers, please fasten your seatbelts, put your seatbacks and sleeping pets in their full upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Pet Life Radio presents Travel Tales, the show where you'll get great travel ideas on perfect places for you and your pet. From Paris to paradise, south of the border to the South Seas, 
Travel Tales will give you cool tips on fun vacation destinations to travel with your pet, pet-friendly hotels, and advice on how to travel safely and happily with your furry best friends. So, get ready to pack the bags and the bones with your Travel Tales hosts, Susan Sims and Nicholas Veslowski, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and again speaking with Dr. Stephen Hansen with the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. Now, originally, I understand the Animal Toxicology Hotline was the name, and the center got its start in 1979 at the University of Illinois, and the ASPCA acquired the service in 1996. The ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center remains an allied agency of the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine, and I understand Dr. Hansen actually completed his residency there, received his master's in veterinary medical science with an emphasis on toxicology from the University of Illinois. Uh, You can read more about the center's services at www.aspca.org. Now, I'd like to welcome you back, doctor. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Amy. I wanted to start this, uh, the last half of our show. Uh, Are there any myths about poisons that you'd like to dispel, um, any so-called poisonous substances that maybe aren't all that dangerous? Yeah, we actually have a list of substances that they're really not a problem that we get a fair amount of inquiries on. Uh, one of them are the silica gel packets and canisters that you find in products. Those really contain a liquid-absorbing substance that is not a problem for dogs or cats. Our only concern is if they are small enough that those little packets could cause obstruction. So those are not a problem at all. Uh, ant baits, we get common calls on, the different types of, of plastic little ant bait um, products that you can put around the home. Those are rarely a problem, again, unless the entire trap is consumed and, and it could potentially cause blockage. Uh, most of the ingredients are in fairly small amounts, but some of them contain peanut butter, which is very attractive to dogs, including <laughs> mine. <laughs> so we do have to be cautious with those. What about around Christmas time? We always hear about um, the, the poinsettias. Is this, uh, this is, is this a good really one. A, 
Yeah, that's, is that really such a huge issue? Um, poinsettias really are not toxic. We do consider or acknowledge that, that if a dog consumes an entire poinsettia, and this is one Gracie actually has not done, if a dog <laughs> consumes an entire poinsettia, it will upset their stomach. It can cause some vomiting and diarrhea, but it definitely is not a significant ingestion. We virtually consider it non-toxic. And there was a human case that was published many, many years ago that has since been debunked, and, and that's where it all originates from, probably the original pre-Internet rumor, I would suppose. But the great thing about poinsettias is when we have the opportunity to say poinsettia is not a problem, but Easter lily, tiger lily, these types of lily plants are lethal to cats. Okay, and, and again, we are coming up on the Easter holiday, so people need to be very aware of that. And, and most cats um, come by counter-cruising naturally, so even setting them up out of the way can be a problem. Just uh, listeners, I hope you will take care of that. Um, now, moving along here, owners, as you said, most of your calls end up being in the middle of the night, so owners may not even see their pet actually swallow something toxic or get into it. So how are they going to know their dog or their cat's in trouble? What are, what are the common signs? I hear about SLUD and some of these other acronyms. Right. What we commonly get for a scenario is that a pet owner may come home from work uh, and they may discover that one one that they may often see is that a chewed-up pill vial is there, and, and that uh, counter-surfing cat is actually a, a common um, part of the puzzle. A cat will knock that pill vial on the floor while playing around, and that's how the dog actually gets to it. So I'm not ah, sure so if part they... of that is intentional. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, in my household, it would be intentional. So uh, I think so. Uh, my, my, my cat too. is yes. My cat is still um, campaigning to get rid of that dog. Yeah, I have the same scenario. So what a pet owner will have, what will notice when they come home, hopefully, is something that's chewed up because that is so important to the veterinarian handling the case and the poison control center helping. Um, what was actually consumed? How many pills were there to begin with? What was the maximum in the prescription? How much do you think were consumed beforehand? So that evidence is key. Now, if there's no evidence, what we often see, uh, many of the ingestions will cause a severely upset stomach first, like raisins and grapes. We may see um, grapes in the vomit multiple places in the house or macadamia nuts produces a bizarre syndrome in dogs. So we may have that evidence. So we ask pet owners, have you found anything chewed up? And would you take, it sounds disgusting, but would you take a look at what's been thrown up and see if there's anything there? Are there evidence of pills, pieces of plastic, pieces of labels, uh, unusual food products? Is there something there to give us evidence? So that upset stomach can actually help us and diarrhea as well as a sign. Um, but oftentimes we'll have nervous symptoms. We may have tremoring. Uh, many of the insecticides, a large number of them actually affect the nervous system, similar to the cat in which the, the dog product was applied for fleas. That cat will start with muscle tremors and it will progress to seizures. Boy, and now that's got to be scary for an owner. What can they do? I mean, uh, well, let's, let's back up a minute first here. Let's take, take us through what happens then if an owner does call um, the, the number. And, and by the way, folks, that number is 888 888- Four two six four four three five, and there will be a sixty dollar fee possibly applied to your credit card. But I mean, that's worth the the, the price, the life of your dog. Um, so what what happens? Somebody calls this number and says, "My pet's been poisoned. Here's the here's the symptoms." And I've I've you know what 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 do they do? What what can they expect? 
Right. What happens in our process, we have 30 veterinarians that work in our poison control center and 15 veterinary technicians, 15 veterinary nurses. So a pet owner will do one of two things. They'll call us directly if their veterinarian has already given them the number or they've found it uh, on the Internet or in other locations, and they will call us. And often they will call a veterinary hospital first and be referred to us because it may involve a human medication in which the clinic is not familiar. There are so many new medications that come out on the market every year uh, many emergency clinics will recommend that the client call us first to see if there is an issue and whether or not it can be managed at home, whereas where we can really help, that becomes a great use of, of the caller's money. Uh, they may not need to go in, or if they do need to go in, we can help direct the right care. So a veterinarian here will collect the information. will ask a lot of questions very quickly, so we need pet owners to, to be prepared to answer them. We need basic information like the breed and the age and the weight, what may have been consumed and what's being seen, and we will initiate a case. In some instances, we'll actually contact an emergency clinic to let them know they're coming. We can help them find an emergency clinic. Uh, or sometimes we get a phone call while they're in the car on the way, so we can provide basic information on how to handle what, what to do with a tremoring cat and why we need to move immediately so we won't spend much time on that case until it gets into the veterinary hospital. So there are a lot of initial questions to get background very quickly, and um, by doing that, we can assess whether we've got a, life, a life-threatening problem or not. Taking that the next step, if, if you know that um, the dog has, has swallowed uh, you know, a handful of Tylenol, or is it safe to make him vomit, and how do you make him vomit, and is that advice that you give, um, or, or how, how does that go? Yeah, for um, for emptying the dog's stomach, uh, inducing bombing, there's uh, there are good times and bad times. So we always we always recommend pet owners have hydrogen peroxide, normal three uh, percent out of the pharmacy hydrogen hydrogen peroxide at home, but not to administer it unless directed by us or another veterinarian at their at their regular veterinary hospital. The reason is that. Uh, we have to make sure that, that if we do induce vomiting with hydrogen peroxide, that it's not something that's going to cause more damage on the way back up. For example, you would never want them um, to throw up uh, drain cleaning products that are highly caustic because you've already damaged the esophagus, the throat once. You don't want to burn the throat further. Things like gasoline, you don't want to come back up because it can get in the lungs. Uh, some medications have such a rapid onset that we don't want to induce vomiting because we might induce seizure activity. On the other hand, if we've just had an ingestion, especially in a dog, dogs are very efficient at throwing up. Those of us with dogs know <laughs> yes. that they can leave us piles of presents, and it can be harmless. It can be a little bit of an upset stomach, and all the food comes up. So there are instances where something's been consumed. We know it's just been a few minutes, and we can empty the stomach and, and not have a problem. So we do recommend that. Um, under caution, under direction, and in certain circumstances because dogs are very effective. Not nearly as effective in humans, very effective in dogs. Well, and I know not very effective in cats either. Uh, you would think, uh, you know, the way my cat likes to leave me little presents, that, that would be not a problem. But I understand when you want the cat to vomit, it's not necessarily so easy to do either. It's not as easy in the cat, no, but that always the key is to make sure that they have a full stomach. So we always offer food beforehand, usually a moist food. So if there's some volume in the stomach for the cat and the dog, they're much more likely to throw up. If they have an empty stomach except for a few pills, for example, if, if the cat was just given two extra strength Tylenols five minutes ago, 
we, we would not want to give hydrogen peroxide without giving some food. So we may go ahead and give food immediately and then give hydrogen peroxide and the, the opportunity, the likelihood of that cat bringing up the majority of those two pills is much higher. But again, for something like only two pills, you'd have to do it very quickly. Otherwise, the likelihood of, of success is pretty limited. And the best thing we can do is get them to a veterinary hospital and give them something called activated charcoal, which we can put in the stomach that will help bind some of that product too. But again, the time frame is very narrow. We have to act quickly uh, if we're going to stop that absorption. Well, I, I know that um, there are some toxins you said are going to damage coming on uh, the way back up. So in those cases, would you recommend that the owner maybe try to dilute the poison by giving something else? Of course, you're going to ask your veterinarian or have you know, on hand a really good uh, first aid book that's, that's going to give you some good direction. But uh, is, that, is that an option for some of these types of toxins? Yes, Amy, it, it does depend on toxin, as you stated, but dilution is very good in rinsing especially. So if we've got that cat that's walked through uh, some concentrated cleaning products and disinfectant products, we do want to rinse the mouth. At the same time, the cat or the dog will consume water. It's particularly nice if you've got a good-sized dog and, and you can go out to the hose and let them drink out of the hose and rinse their mouth, that will greatly reduce the, the sores, the, the chances of being sores in the mouth while diluting in the stomach. And then we may also give something to calm the stomach. We can give uh, various human products uh, um, that can be administered to calm the stomach that will help as well. So we can do some of those at home, especially if it's not a terribly toxic product. Well, I know when I was um, uh, researching uh, my own book, The First Aid Companion for Dogs and Cats, and talked to a number of the uh, uh, the technical people on this, uh, they were suggesting, yes, the garden hose with dogs, but with cats, maybe even a squirt gun, you know, something like that that's going to be a little bit more directional. Cats are notoriously difficult to handle in a, in a situation like that. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's a good recommendation, Amy. A squirt gun could work. A, um, a turkey baster could work, and we usually like to have, have pet owners wrap the cat rather snugly in a towel to keep the legs um, secure so they're not scratched. And then you can, and when a cat feels secure like that, they don't fight much. So you wrap them up kind of snug in a towel, and then you can rinse their mouth with a syringe, with a turkey baster. A squirt gun sounds like a marvelous idea. Um, whatever it takes to help rinse that mouth carefully so we don't choke the cat. So we do have right. to be cautious. Um, but they can be very successful. Well, and then uh, follow-up. Some of these guys, they may have some problems down the road as a result of the, of the trauma, possibly just an upset or a whoopsie stomach for a while, but other, other issues as well. So it's going to be important, even if you think that you've gotten poison out of them, to get them to the veterinarian and get some follow-up care besides. Is that not true? Yeah, follow-up care is very important. We'd like to make sure that that the regular veterinarian is involved in these in these cases, especially if we have extenuating circumstances, elderly animals, animals with pre-existing um, diseases of various types. Uh, it's very important. And for some of these toxins, monitoring um, normal body function, such as kidney function in a, in a dog that's eaten raisins, continued fluid administration. There are all kinds of things that need to happen to ensure that we don't have a, a sad outcome. Okay. Well, one final question here before we wrap up. Uh, Prevention, in my opinion, is key. Do you have any advice on how can we better prevent pet poisonings? And Amy, the most important concept for a pet owner to have is the realization that a dog is like a toddler, but a toddler that can open anything. So they can crush pill vials, 
they can take inhalers, which are rarely a problem in children because you have to keep pumping them. But if a dog punctures an inhaler and they get an entire evacuation of that inhaler in one breath. So they can puncture anything, they can chew up anything, and they'll eat large amounts of it. So products should not be stored under the counter. Pill vials should always be in a cabinet. Seven-day pill minders, when we have visitors that come to the house, are disastrous. They're set on a nightstand. We've got an entire week's worth of a wide range of medications, and those are horrible cases, and we get those all the time. So poison prevention is key, and on our website, I'd like to mention ASPCA.org. Because there's a flash game with, with Cooper the Careful Canine, it takes you through every room of the house. It won an educational award, and it talks about everything we've covered plus other stuff to help prevent poisoning so people don't have to call the poison center. Oh, that's marvelous. I'm going to have to go check that out. It sounds like a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing to use. And I want to thank you very much, Dr. Stephen Hansen. Again, we are out of time, but thank you for joining us. And I appreciate the producers for making pet peeves possible. Now, folks listening, please don't wait to pet proof your home to protect your dogs and cats from the dangers around them. The alternative just isn't worth risking. So again, to learn more about the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, which has some pretty terrific educational resources, check out details at www.aspca.org. And we'll put that information up on the Pet Life Radio guest spot as well. Now, I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. This month, we're covering donations to feline medical research foundations, exploring whether pets have a ticket into heaven, and we're hissing about the cat declaw debate. Email me other suggestions for future topics or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way too. Woofs and purrs until next time and Please don't forget to pet your critters for me. I don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>